Hey, Cross United, so glad you've joined us for this online message. We're going to be in John 13, 33 through 35 today, so you can turn or tap in your Bible or your app to that passage. And while you're doing that, I want to encourage you to go to crossunited.org. At crossunited.org, there are two places where you can click. You can click uh, on the top left-hand corner, online check-in and that is for you to let us know ways we can be praying for you if you've never connected with our church in person or for you to let us know a little bit more about yourself so that we could get to know you a little bit better and you can get to know us a little bit better also there at crossunited.org on the top right hand of the menu bar is the giving tab and if you consider cross united your church home or you just consider yourself a generous person encourage you to give this is our year to move toward becoming self-supporting so we encourage you to give to and through our church what does the world need now more than any other thing you might say that what the world needs is peace because there's been so much division and separation in our nation um, there's been so much animosity so so much anger in our nation and across the world. You might say the world needs reconciliation because of that division and that separation and to be brought back together and, and to be reunited. Um, you might say that the world needs hope because of all of the, 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 the problems and, the, and the, the seemingly endless parade of, of difficulties that, that have plagued us. You might say that the world needs faith because the world is fearing this plague and has been so plagued by fear. Now, I think the world does need all of those things, without a doubt. But I think all of those things are included in and, and subordinate to the ultimate virtue, the thing the world needs more than any other single thing. Back in the 60s, there was a a singer or singer songwriter and a um, um, musician who wrote a little song that you have probably heard um, in in uh, the 60s the 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 world was in this place of turmoil and uh, the the world was on on in the midst of war across the globe um, the United States was having a cultural revolution and was engaged in all sorts of political power struggles. There was lots of confusion. There was lots of upheaval. Um, there was a lot of, of generational friction. And this songwriting duo, Hal David, who wrote the lyrics, and Bert Bacharach, who wrote the music, uh, wrote a ditty that you've probably heard in some form. It was most famously recorded by a singer-songwriter named Jackie DeShannon. And the lyrics start out like this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. You know, Hal David and Bert Bacharach, they got it right. And on this day that we in our culture celebrate romantic love, named after St. Valentine, who was a Christian pastor in the 200s and has over time morphed into this celebration of romantic love, we find that they were right, that the world does need love, but not so much in the romantic sense, 
of Valentine's Day, or so much in the generic sense of some popular song, the world needs love in a very specific sense. The world needs Christian love. Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross, spends hours with his disciples, sharing his heart with them. And, and as he has entered into these final days and weeks and moments and hours of his life, um, he's sharing his heart with his disciples. And over the, the next few hours on this evening, he's going to tell the disciples some of the most profound things he will tell them in their entire time following him. Um, he's telling them now, he's preparing them for the fact that he is soon going to die, and then he's going to be buried, then he's going to be raised from the dead. He will be with them for 40 days, about six weeks, about from the beginning of the new year until now, and then he will be gone physically. Little children, he says in verse 33, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. He, he speaks to them as little children, like a, like a big brother to his younger brothers. He's preparing them for this interim season between his first coming and his second coming, where he will be physically gone but spiritually present. In the, in the, the, in the rest of this conversation with them, he's going to tell them in just a few verses in 14 verse 2 that he's going to prepare a place for them. And then in chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, that, that it's actually to their benefit that he goes away because when he departs, the Spirit will enter. When he exits the stage, the Spirit enters. J.D. Greer, the president of our network of churches, wrote a little book called The Spirit Inside of You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. So, so Jesus is instructing them and preparing them for his departure and his final instruction for them starts with this central issue. This central issue we saw last time in verses 31 and 32 is his heartbeat and his absolute passion for the glory of God. Now he's going to talk about something that's totally related, and that is his passion for the disciples to love one another. In our church, we talk about helping people find life like God intended by bringing them to God in wholehearted worship, bringing them together in authentic community through the cross of Jesus Christ and sending them out on the joyful mission that God has for them in the world. Well, if wholehearted worship is, is ultimately to the glory of God, then authentic community is found in this command that we would love one another. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John is obsessed with love. The, the, the word for love occurs 320 times in some form in the New Testament, this form of the word love. And over a third of them, are in the writings of John, his gospel, his letters, and the book of Revelation. John is a is sometimes called the apostle 
of love. He is passionate about love. It's interesting because in the first section of the book, what we often call the book of signs, chapters 1 through 11 and 12, um, love doesn't occur that often. We see in John 3.16, of course, famously, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this uh, sending of his son reveals the, the eternal love within the Trinity, the Father eternally loving the Son. And we see that in ver chapter 3, verse 35, and chapter 10, verse 17. The first time Jesus is said to love someone is when he's said to love Mary and Martha and Lazarus in chapter 11. But then in 13, verse 1, the, the narrative pivots toward a special emphasis on love. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And, and dozens of times over the next few chapters, we're going to see this word love occur over and over and over and over. So we might call this second half the book of love. Here we have the heart of Christianity. If the glory of God is our aim in wholehearted worship, then loving one another is our aim in authentic community. D.A. Carson says, here we find a truth simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, but profound enough that most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. In this simple yet profound command, we see the answer to three questions about love. The first is this, how can we love? Just as I have loved you, this new command that Jesus has given. Here we see that we can love because of the love of Christ. Now, how can he call this a new command? The, the command to love is all throughout the Old Testament. That's the great and first command, Deuteronomy 6.4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all that you are, all of the time. The command to love your neighbor, Leviticus 19.18. As yourself, Jesus calls these the, the first and second great commandments. So the command to love and the reality of love isn't alien or foreign to the people of God and to the Old Testament. So how can this be called a new command? For example, Jeremiah 31 verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. That's one of the most profound and important verses in the Old Testament. Here we see that God, the creator, initiates and maintains a relationship of covenantal love with the world he made and more specifically with the people he chose. And what we see is that the command to love is new here in John 13 not because it was not it not because there was no love in the Old Testament or that wasn't a major part of the Old Testament some some have tried to say that the Old Testament is a is a god of wrath and the New Testament is a god of love that's just not true it doesn't do justice to the actual text like the one we just like the one we just read but the command is new in the sense that God is going to pour 
his love into our hearts through Christ and the Holy Spirit so that we can truly love him and love one another. So that it's written and etched into our hearts. This love is new in the sense that Christ has accomplished the final and ultimate act of love, which then leads to us being able to love. Just as I have loved you, he says, you also are to love one another. John explains this in 1 John this way. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We, we must first receive the love of Christ before we can love anyone else. How did Christ love us? Well, John 15, 13, he says, No greater love has anyone than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. We can love because Christ loved us to the point of death, even death on the cross. And in his love, he, after his resurrection and ascension into heaven, he pours the spirit of love into our hearts, as Romans 5, 5 says. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How can we love? Because Christ first loved us. Question number two. Who should we love? Well, Christ clearly says three times, love one another. We, we are called to love our fellow Christians and more specifically, the members of our nuclear church family, our local church family. Now, of course, we're, we're called to love our enemies. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes that clear, Matthew 5, 44. We're called to love um, other Christians and, and others as well and, and people in the world and the community. But we're supposed to have a, a specific love for the members of our household. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. The household was the, the, the unit of the family unit of that day. It wasn't just what we consider a nuclear family like father and mom and kids or and a dog or whatever. It was an entire network of, of people, extended family and, and people who were part of the staff and all sorts of uh, members of this, of this group, this, this thing called the household. And we see the scripture describes the church like a household. And the word church is used 114 times in the New Testament. And most of those times, like 90% of those times, it's not referring to the big C universal church, but to the little C local church. And so we see that we should love the church with a capital C, but just like a father or a mother or a sister or brother who doesn't take care of their own household, but loves someone across town while their own kids go hungry, we, we would call that neglect. We must love the household of faith. This is not some sort of inward focused uh, country club type of mindset, but it's this. We're called to love one another like Christ loved us. This is how we know love. 
he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. The way we show that we love God and that we have received God's love for us is by loving our brothers and sisters. Craig Keener, the uh, biblical scholar who's, who's written a lot on um, the book of John, he has this massive commentary that I've, I've found very helpful, says this, The exhortation to love one another implied unity in the face of diversity. John 17, 21 through 23, where Jesus prays that the church may be one as he and the Father are one, so the world may know that the Son sent the Father sent the Son, such as Jewish and Gentile and Samaritan believers in Jesus might experience. Ethnic and other forms of reconciliation within the Christian community are essential to its identity as a Christian community. Without such evidences, the world cannot see the character of Jesus. This is why every week you hear me describe the aspirational vision of our church. That we have a church full of old people and young people and middle-aged people who love one another as Christ has loved them. That we have a church full of Republican people and Democratic people and independent people who love one another as Christ loved them. That we have a church full of wealthy people and poor people and middle-income people who love one another as Christ loved them. That we have a church full of black people and white people and brown people who love one another as Christ loved them. Question three, why do we love? This is what he says in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is counterintuitive. But what Christ, what Jesus is saying here is that if we want to reach our community, we need to be the most loving church, not just toward our community, but toward one another. If we want to reach South Florida and Lighthouse Point and Pompano Beach and Boca Raton and Margate, Coral Springs, if we want to reach South Florida, like God has called us to, that we must be a church that truly loves one another as Christ has loved us so that the world and the community and people will look through the window and say, whoa, I want to be a part of that. Even in the absence of supernatural signs and wonders, even in the absence of really you know, wonderful production values, even in the absence of all the programs that, that, you know, we could imagine, we can display a supernatural love for one another. What the world needs, what our community needs is a church that loves one another. I was reading recently um, about this Netflix show called Blind or Love is Blind. 
And uh, it's basically these, these people who uh, interact without seeing one another and end up kind of like getting, you know, interested in one another, falling in love with one another. And then they finally meet. And then they spend a month getting to know one another in person, and then they have a, a wedding. And, and the idea is that, you know, everyone wants to be loved for who they are on the inside, not for what they look like. And, uh, and that sort of thing, like that old movie Shallow How, where, you know, it's, you know, he sees people for who they are, not just what they, not just what they look like. And, uh, and, and I was reading this thing that was contrasting that idea with something G.K. Chesterton said. G.K. Chesterton once said, love is not blind. That is the last thing that it is. Love is bound. And the more it is bound, the less it is blind. And what he's talking about there is he's talking about this biblical idea of covenant. That we go into a relationship with our eyes wide open. We're not pretending the person is something that they're not. We're not pretending there not, might not be places of disagreement and friction. And we know that other things might arise in the future. But we go into it looking with our eyes open, with the eyes of the love of Christ. Knowing that no matter what we see in that person's life, that we are bound to them in covenantal love. Because Christ went to the cross with his eyes wide open. He was not blind to who we were. He was not blind to what we looked like in our sin, in our shame, in our guilt, in our brokenness. Christ went to the cross in covenantal love for us. Not because he didn't see what was wrong with us, but because he did see what was wrong with us. So as we enter into this next season as a church... And we see things in people that may be ugly or sinful or frustrating. Let's love one another as Christ loved us so that the world will know, so that South Florida will know that we are his. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.